welcome to Mailbag of the Wind, the interstitial podcast where we read the mailbag of Page of the Wind. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. And we're going to kick it off with another letter, a letter from the mysterious, presumably dashing, Jade Blade. Dear Pagers, Pagerinos, Trio, Jordanic, etc. On this page, and that page is 450, uh, the title of this letter is Page 450 and Tragedy. On this page, Jeremy and Jordana have a spirited discussion on the nature of romance, and Jeremy expressed a preference for tragedy-flavored romance. Hard agree on my part, unless it's film, and then I can also go for rom-coms. However, I would like to recommend a book that will be right in Jeremy's wheelhouse, Tigana by Guy Gavriel Kay, who is a Canadian author of historical fantasy. His books are chock-full of tragic romance, and Tigana is the best one. Enjoy, and don't read the end without a box of tissues. Sincerely, the jade blade well this this letter is all you jeremy i guess so uh well thank you for that reco i have read a little bit of guy gavriel k because you gotta have that that can con and he's a pretty big name in the fan he's like probably the most famous canadian fantasy fantasy author and geez i read a book of his that was and i have i'm given to understand now that a lot of his books are like that it was basically a sort of fictionalized fantasy retelling of the reconquista uh, in which the Spanish uh, Christians took back uh, or reconquered uh, most of Spain from the, the Muslim caliphate that controlled it. It wasn't badly written, but I think I found the fact that I could analogize every character, every culture, every religious thing to something in our world. Like, oh, this is just the Jewish character, but they're not called Jewish. They're called something else. You know, oh, this is like a crusader army, but they don't call it that. I found I think I found that a little uh, wearisome after a while, but I do recall in that book that not a tragic romance, but like a tragic bromance uh, in which there were kind of like two friends who were great warriors uh, and they ended up dying. That said, I've heard Tagana's great uh, and a recommendation from a reader never goes unnoticed on this podcast, so I will certainly check it out. But it does lead me to ask, Jordana, do you have like a favorite fictional romance, like your OTP? What does OTP stand for? One true pairing. Oh, wow. Uh, no. So f- fun- funny we should have this discussion because when I think about it, I I cannot actually peg in literature any couple that I can think of that I was like really into. Uh, like I can't, I just, I don't read fantasy for, for the romance, I guess. Like I like to have the romance in there. It is it is a spice, it is a flavor, but it is not the main event. And so I have never like been invested enough in it to really be like, "Oh yeah, that couple." Yeah, I hear that. I mean, I think that's true for me as well that I I'm not I can think of one in film. Focused. Yeah, what is it? Uh Wesley and Buttercup. <laughs> the most truest love there ever was. <laughs> well, not even death can stop exactly. it. Exactly. What could be more true and full of love than Wesley and Buttercup? Don't you wish it was just a little bit more tragic? No, I don't. Because it's wonderful <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> you cannot ruin the Princess Bride for me. It is it is perfect. What if I could make it better? No, it's, it's good just the way it is. Yeah, it's pretty great. Moving on to a a new letter, a strong. We have a letter from AS, and the letter is titled Three Questions. Dear Fusspots, 
This is probably my eighth letter to you while binging the podcast during your break and the wait is killing me. Ah! It amuses me how often you say, Rothfuss skipped over X because whatever we imagine is probably more blank than anything Rothfuss could come up with. How do you square this with the many wonderful descriptions in the book that I'm sure most readers couldn't imagine even if they tried very hard while high? So, what do you think, Jordana? How do we answer that question? I I am rarely the person who says that, so I think that this isn't my um, department. <laughs> ah, way to, way to shunt responsibility yes. onto me, the only other co-host here. <laughs> you know, I think that's a good point, AS, and I think that the, it comes down to one of the things that you're constantly doing when you're writing anything is you're, you're making choices about what you're going to talk about and what you're not going to talk about. We actually discussed this a little bit in our last response to your last letter. So I think that a lot of the time, especially when you're writing fantasy fiction or or horror or science fiction, there are going to be times when you have a concept or a, an image or a thing and you want it to be really impressive and awe-inspiring. You might question whether your abilities as uh, a writer are su- are sufficient to the task of describing it. And so you know, and it's sometimes it can be a cop out. Sometimes it's not. But sometimes you just want to say, I literally am not going to describe this thing to you because I won't be able to do it. Justice. Famously, uh, in the fiction of Howard Phillips Lovecraft, he often shies away from directly describing the various cosmic monstrosities in his stories. And he has a built in fictional reason for doing that in saying that, like, you know, no one ever really got a good look at Cthulhu because anyone who did look at him went crazy. My mind cannot, literally cannot, like, process the thing that I'm seeing, so I can only describe it vaguely. Like, it kind of looks like a dragon octopus squid thing, but not really. Authors are always trying to sort of, especially of authors of the fantastic or the weird, are always trying to ride that line of describing a thing enough to to let the reader fill in the blanks and use their imagination, and also be clear about conveying what you want to convey and i think that a good choice to make when doing that is if you're going to describe something that can't really be described in or it can't be best described or depicted in prose then maybe that's a technique you want to use like rothfuss does not get super detailed about describing what the songs that both plays sound like what he focuses on describing is how those songs make people feel and how it feels to play them and why Quoth is playing them. But he doesn't say, he doesn't say like the lay of Sir Savian had eight stanzas and it was in, you know, it was in 16 thirds time and it had this really difficult bridge here. You know, he doesn't like go into those kinds of technical details, but what he does do is say it is really difficult. It's really long and there's a part here that's really, really hard to do, which is how you know I'm so good because I can do it really well, you know? So I feel like it's not necessarily a question of of Rothfuss skipping over X. It's a question of him consciously making the choice of like, I'm going to describe this part of X, but not that, that part. I think a, a big part of those choices is also... If he were to describe all the things, including the things where we're like, oh, he didn't describe it because blank. It would be a really long book. <laughs> it's true. And as I'm sure we 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 all know, there are some books that 
are far too literal and far too completionist about describing details that actually don't serve to advance my understanding of the story or give me the feeling that the author probably intends. I don't need to hear or read all the poems and songs in Lord of the Rings, and I don't need all the the food described to me at every single feast. Uh, and in fact, I find that stuff very tedious, ultimately. It turned me off of finishing those books. I was wondering if you would mention Lord of the Rings, because that was the first thing that popped into my mind. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that a lot of people find, struggle with Tolkien, and I think it's part of the reason that they do is because he describes stuff that your average modern reader is like not actually that interested in a lot of the time, but he's very interested in describing it. And like, I also know people who like do not like long descriptions of like fight scenes and I do, but I like long descriptions of fight scenes that both give me a sense of the actual choreography of the fight and give me a sense of how the people who are doing it feel and what they feel and why and and how this fight is building or informing their character. And I've definitely read fight scenes in books that are very technical descriptions of like, he lifted his sword two feet above his head and held it at a 45 degree angle. But like, that doesn't actually tell me anything, you know? So I think Rothfuss is just always making this calculation of what do I describe and when and why am I describing this thing? And what about this thing is important to, for me to convey? And when he chooses to do that, you know, he he is a, a very talented prose stylist. Uh, I think he's got a real gift for describing things in new and inventive ways. And I also think he is really gifted at knowing when he doesn't need to to spell something out for you because it's actually more powerful to give you enough that you can fill in the rest. So I hope that that answered your question. And I know you have a second question, uh, unless you wanted to say something about the first one, Jordana. Nope. All right. The second question is, have you played the board game Gloomhaven? If not, I highly recommend it. It is a delightful amalgamation of D&D style roleplay with Catan-esque strategy in a cooperative legacy game. It has been number one on Board Game Geek for many years and has provided hours and hours of enjoyment to me, much like your podcast. Well, uh, we are a bunch of board game Dorcas's, and uh, I've heard of Gloomhaven, but I've never actually played it. Have you, Jordan? No, I I haven't even heard of it, but I'm interested. I am too. Maybe uh, if you're fortunate, we'll do a Patreon episode. We'll play it, and then we'll decide whether or not we like. Does it. this mean that we can purchase the game on the podcast spill? Yeah, that's right. That's what your Patreon money is going for. It's going to nice. buy the podcast board games. <laughs> the third and final question: How much crack could a crock pot cook? If a crack pot could cook crack uh i don't know i think that that is a question better left to wiser philosophers than i so all i will say is as much as you need and as little as you want we're going to move on to our next letter it's from rachel and the subject of this letter is the thrice locked chest hi guys just a quick one today about quoth's thrice locked chest when bast tries to open quoth's chest on page 477 the following happens Bast grinned and brought the hatchet down on the rounded peak of the chest. There was a strange, soft ringing noise, like a padded bell being struck in a distant room. The bright, leaf-shaped blade refused to bite into the wood, each blow turning aside. This reminded me of the following description of Quoth demonstrating the bloodless to Kilvin. There was a harsh metallic clank, and the bolt stopped midair as if it had struck an invisible wall. 
This time, Kelvin spotted the source of the noise. Hanging from the ceiling in the far corner of the room was a metal object the size of a large lantern. I find these descriptions very similar and wonder if Quoth is using a bloodless as part of the protection of his chest. Maybe it's elsewhere in the waystone, or maybe a modified one that resets its own springs is kept inside the chest, contributing to its defense, and also its excessive weight. Interested to hear your thoughts. As always, thank you for all you do and hope that life is treating you well. Signed, Rachel. It's funny, I enjoy hearing about the thrice locked chest, but I don't like answering questions about it. Because <laughs> mm. I don't know. I don't know either, but I think that this is a really interesting theory to me because it does point at the idea, an idea that recurs a lot in these books that things that most people understand as magic can actually be explained by mundane or you know comparatively mundane sympathy. You know, the idea that Quoth has, has this like mystical thrice locked chest that contains his soul, but the soul is inside an egg and the egg's inside a duck and the duck's inside a goat. That's a very fairy tale idea. And the idea that he has deliberately made something like that, but that's actually just constructed with a lot of very clever applications of sympathy and applications of sympathy that we've seen Quoth use before, that is a thematically resonant idea that I like. I don't know if I like it more than the idea that he actually does have a mystical artifact. So, but if it did turn out to be true and, and when we finally get inside the chest, we find that, oh, it's just defended, you know, it's just like an advanced form of the, the arrow catch. Uh, I will go, aha, that's very clever and well-seated. I think the counter argument there is if that's all that it is, then Quoth must know how to undo it because he made it with sympathy and we know how that sympathy works. So why wouldn't he be able to to just open it? And I don't know if it does completely answer why it's so heavy. I, I feel bad speculating because I just have no idea. Like mm. I'm so lost on the chest. That's good. Hold on to that feeling, Jordana. Why? Speculation is a sin in the eyes of the Lord. Oh, which Lord? Rothfuss. Oh, right. That makes sense. We'll continue to make sense. On Mailbag of the Wind. Do you really think he minds? 